Thank you for joining us here on the Bowling Green Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God, encourage our community, serve those in need, and share the good news of Jesus. You can find out more about how we do this on our website at BowlingGreenChristian.org. It is our prayer that the following message encourages you as you take your next step in faith. Uh, to begin this morning by a round of applause, how many Star Wars fans do we have in the audience? Now that's better, that's better, that's better. But for those of you who are not, I'm going to give you a very quick primer so you can understand my illustration this morning. Uh, I'm sure everybody here has heard of Darth Vader, big black suit guy, you know, you know, Luke, I am your father. That's Darth Vader, ultimate villain of our time in pop culture. Hey, he is what is called a Sith. S-I-T-H. He is, he is an evil user of what's called the Force. In the Star Wars world, it's this, it's this uh, invisible force that permeates the universe that gives these, superhero, these kind of superheroes these, these powers that they have. The Sith use the dark side of the Force, which, as you can imagine, is bad. It's bad, okay? And the Jedi are their counterparts. They use the light side of the force. They are good, okay? So now you understand about 80% of what you need if you're not familiar with Star Wars. So um, I'm kind of a fan. I, I, I used to be, I, I don't go to conventions or wear C-3PO costumes or anything dumb like that. I don't keep the toys on a shelf in my basement. Uh, but but I, I do enjoy the movies, and I, you know, I, sometimes I, I, I use movie references. I quote Yoda all the time. My kids get it, you know, uh, Yoda, you know, always, my kids get, you know, uh, do or do not. There is no try. Uh, you can imagine how we use that around our household. But, but anyway, I, the, the, the first three movies in the series are what's called the prequels, and they are much maligned among fans. I enjoy them. I think they're good movies. And it's the story about how a guy named Anakin Skywalker, who's this prophesied great Jedi, becomes Darth Vader, the, the ultimate bad guy. And in the third movie, and I apologize if you haven't watched it, spoiler alerts are coming, uh, movie number three, Revenge of the Sith, is the story about how Anakin becomes Darth Vader. And the chief antagonist in the movie is a guy named Palpatine. Chancellor Palpatine is the head of the Republic, but in secret, he is the dark Sith Lord Sidious. So he is Satan incarnate. You know, he is, there's nothing good about him. He is completely and totally evil. And uh, in this story, Anakin, uh, coming into this movie, uh, one of the things being a Jedi is you are not allowed to, to marry. And Anakin is deeply in love with this girl named Padme, and in violation of the Jedi order, he gets married to her. So they are secretly married, and they come into this movie, and Padme informs him that she is pregnant. Of course, that's good news, but he goes to bed that night and he has this dream. And for Jedi's dreams are more like premonitions. I mean, this is, you know, something's going to... He dreams his wife dies in childbirth. And he's determined uh, that is not going to happen on his watch. So he, he makes the determination, I'm going to find there's something in the force out there that will enable me to prevent my wife from dying in childbirth. And, and, and Palpatine senses that. I mean, he's a Sith. They do all kinds of bad things. In fact, it's even implied he may have planted that dream in Anakin's head. So he's going to use that to leverage Anakin to switching toward the dark side of the Force. So later on in the movie, they're watching a play together, and Palpatine says, you know, he begins to tell Anakin this story about this, 
this, this Sith Lord named Plagueis. He said, this guy was so wise and so strong that he, he could use the force to prevent the ones he loved from dying. Pregnant pause. And of course, Anakin takes the bait. Where could I learn about this power to prevent the ones I love from dying? And his reply is, not from a Jedi. Okay. And he then tells the story about how this guy's uh, Darth Plagueis, this Sith Lord, had an apprentice. Siths always have one apprentice, okay? And this apprentice learned everything that Darth Plagueis knew about not allowing people to die. But, of course, being a Sith and being evil, he smothered him in his sleep. And the way you watch the body language and the way it's portrayed, it's implied that Palpatine, indeed, was the apprentice who smothered the master And he knows how to keep the ones he loves from dying. So he plants that seed in Anakin. Later on, he reveals to Anakin, yeah, I am a Sith Lord. And I beg you, I implore you, use my knowledge, my power to save your wife by becoming my apprentice and learning about the dark side of the Force. Anakin doesn't take the bait. He turns Palpatine into the Jedi. The Jedi get get together a posse of four Jedi, and they're going to go arrest Palpatine. Well, Palpatine, being a Sith Lord, ends up killing like three of them, and he's battling to the death with a Jedi named Mace Windu, who's Samuel L. Jackson. He's a killer. I mean, they, they, they go at it, and Mace manages to disarm Palpatine. He's got him there, and he's got the sword on him, and he's about to kill him, and, and Anakin walks in. And Mace says, you know, I got to kill him because he's got the courts, he's got the, the Senate in his back pocket, he's not going to get justice, he's too dangerous to be left alive. And of course, Anakin tries to persuade him, hey, we got to try him, this isn't the Jedi way, but really he's thinking, this guy knows how to save my wife and I don't want him to die because I got to extract that information from him. And Mace says, no, I got to kill him. So he goes to strike the death blow, Anakin whips out his lightsaber, cuts his arm off, and then Palpatine kills him. So there is Anakin, complicit in the death of another Jedi, on the ground, disarmed before Palpatine. Instead of getting up and fighting, he says, you know what, I'll be your apprentice. Just help me to prevent my wife from dying. And then Palpatine gives him the name Darth Vader. Now, I don't know if you care uh, about, about Star Wars or not, but this is just a great story about how a guy headed in the direction toward becoming maybe the greatest Jedi of history in this movie series, gets distracted by having a wife he should have never had and, gets in, in, and ends up causing them to turn his back on everything that he stood for. Uh, we're in the middle of a ser- sermon series called Ready or Not, and it highlights the fact that, you know, that change in life is inevitable. You know, some changes are good, some are bad. Uh, there's a lot of difficulty that comes our way, and we really don't have a lot of control over that, but we do have control over how we respond. And in, in, for this sermon series, we're in uh, uh, the books of First and Second Thessalonians in Scripture. They were written by a guy named Paul who was an apostle, which simply means he was sent by God to do a task and to deliver a message. And uh, Thessalonica was a Greek city, and this church had all kinds of problems. It was being persecuted tremendously from the outside. Uh, their countrymen didn't like them. The Jewish people in the community didn't like them. And then the church inside is just a mess. They got all kinds of changes and pressures, and Paul's helping them to deal with that. And he gives, a, he gives them some advice. It really applies to us today. You may recall, you know, we talked about that, um, you know, if in a changing world, you've got to set your direction. 
You know, changes are like winds. They'll blow you all over the place unless you set a direction. And his advice to these Christians, you know, you need to follow Christ. You've got to make that decision and set that direction. Secondly, you better surround yourself with people who are going to the same place. You can't make this alone. You know, we, can, we try and go places alone. We can, get, we can get places fast, but we don't get very far. And, and the message was you've got to surround yourself with people who are going to the same place you are. Thirdly, don't take shortcuts. You know, it's really tempting to compromise integrity, to compromise on what God would have us to be, but the, the problem is we do that. We think we're making it easy, but really what we're doing is we find, gee, we're not going where we thought we were, and we're not turning into the kind of people we want to be. So don't take shortcuts. Uh, the, the other thing is what we call, I like to call the tyranny of the should. I'm, I fall victim to this all. I have a picture of the way life ought to be, the way things should be, and they aren't. And we all know that. Life is not what it ought to be, or our picture of what it ought to be. And Paul, and it wasn't, it wasn't for these Christians, and basically Paul tells them, you know, you, it, it isn't the way that it ought to be. You need to use what you got with the time that you have and the place that you're located to do the very best you can. Don't, think, don't, be, tyrann, don't, don't be caught up in the tyranny of the should. And finally, we talked last week about the idea of struggle. We all go through struggles. We all go through difficulties. But it's through those struggles that we actually grow. We use the analogy of going to a gym. You know, you run, you work on a treadmill, you lift weights, and that work is hard. It, it's, it's a struggle, but it's in that struggle that your body gets strong. In fact, if you don't, your body isn't going to get strong. And that's kind of the way it is in our, in our efforts to follow Jesus. The things that make us strong, unfortunately, it's bad news. I don't like it, but it comes with the struggle. That's how we become strong in our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So this idea of dis distraction. This church had a lot of distractions. A lot of things that would, would, would try and knock these people off the rails in terms of the way they're going. And we'll jump right into it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. Paul lays it out. He says, In the name of Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat." So there's a huge distraction inside the church. This is not from the outside. You've got a group of believers in this church who are basically freeloaders. They're not working to support their family. They're just sitting around asking for people to take care of them. Hey, you got something to eat? I'm a little hungry over here. I, that, that, that piece of meat looks pretty good. Stick my finger in it so you can't eat it. I mean, they're just taking off of everybody else. They're idle. And, and, and furthermore, what happens when people get idle? What happens when we start doing things we're not supposed to? They're, they're not concerned with themselves. They become it's busy, you know, busybodies. They're obsessed with what other people do. They're trash talking. They're, they're causing disruption. I mean, they're just making trouble for this church. And, and, and they, are, they have become 
a distraction to others. Now, we won't get, we're not going to get into the details about why this particular problem existed at this particular church, but it's a problem that, ha- that threatens to wreck this entire church. These people who are just a disruption, who are sponging off of others, who are, who are stirring the pot and causing trouble. And basically, Paul says, you know, you've got to stay away from those folks. You've got to avoid them. Don't associate with them. In other words, don't run with people who are going to distract you. And we know why that's the case, because the people we run with tend to rub off on us, don't they? You know, if, if for example, at work, you have a colleague who's always miserable, who's not diligent in what they're doing, they, they, they're not doing their job, they're just they're trash, they're trash talking the company, they're trash talking their colleagues, they're just always negative and always, you know, guess what happens if you spend a lot of time with that person? You might you start finding some of those behaviors happen in yourself. It rubs off on us. Or in our personal life, we've got friends who've got habits that are bad. They're, they're miserable in their marriage. They're unfaithful to their spouse, or they're not paying attention to their kids, or their hobbies are, are filling their lives. You know, any of those things, if we spend a lot of time with, with that person, it, it begins to rub off on us, doesn't it? We understand that principle. Uh, or maybe it's a family member. Um, I've got a friend who's got an aunt who is the trash talker in the family. Maybe you've got one of those in yours. I don't know. But, you know, every time somebody gets on the phone, they, they've got something awful to say about somebody else in the family. And it just creates problems. And guess what happens if you're the one who listens to this stuff all the time? You find yourself participating in bad company corrupts good character. But specifically, Paul's not talking about outside the church. He's talking about inside the church. He says, you've got these people who are going to rub off on you and create bad habits. And you need to avoid them. You know, I would love to say that everybody who calls himself a, is a Christian is exhibiting good behavior, but Paul says it's not true. And when we see that kind of bad behavior that threatens to rub off on us, we need to avoid that. And it doesn't mean we avoid imperfect people, because all of us are imperfect people, but these folks are causing trouble. And Paul says you, got, you can't let that distract you. You cannot allow that to rub off on you. You've got to avoid these folks. Don't, don't associate with them. But he doesn't stop there. He gives further instruction. In, in verse 11, he says this. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. This is a repetition. Uh, they're not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. So it's not enough to, uh, to avoid these people. We need to warn these people. Warn people who are distracted. In fact, he says, look, here's the reason. You know, the, you know, the, the, if, if we hang out with folks who are, who, are, who are engaged in this evil behavior, it could rub off on us. But the specific reason he gives here to, to, put the, to, to not associate with these folks is so that they'll feel ashamed. You know, so that they'll recognize, man, I'm causing trouble. Nobody wants to be around me. They're, they're, they're trying to avoid this. I'm not taking care of myself. I'm sponging off other people. That's embarrassing. I can't believe I did that. I need to change my behavior. That's the purpose. And he says, says, don't regard these folks as your enemies. They're your brothers. They're not your enemies. But you need to warn them as a brother. So don't associate so that they'll feel ashamed of what they're doing. We're not going to participate in that. You're going to have to do that off by yourself because you can't be around us doing that. And warn them so that they will change their behavior. Think about it like this. Several, uh, when I was a kid, 
I was walking across a parking lot with someone, and I almost stepped out in front of a car. So I got a shove. And that was, it kind of hurt my pride. It hurt me a little bit physically, but, you know, pushed me out of the way. So I went way out in front of the car. And when that happened, I, I was like, what'd you shove me for? Yeah, I'm down on the ground, got my elbow skinned or whatever. Because I almost stepped out in front of a car. When I realized what happened, obviously if I had to choose between getting shoved out of the way rudely versus getting you know, squashed by a car, pretty easy decision to make, right? You know, the person who did that did that out of concern for me, even though it was a little unpleasant at the time. Well, it's the same principle here. You know, if someone is engaged in a behavior that's destructive to themselves and others around them out of love, we should, want, we, we, should, we should confront that behavior. Think about this for a moment. You know, maybe there's someone in your life you need, you need to say something to because they're engaged in something harmful. You know, perhaps you, you, you have a brother, a fellow believer, who's involved in an inappropriate relationship with someone of the opposite sex. You don't know if it's gotten physical, but you can see the interactions like, this isn't right. This isn't good. This threatens this person's marriage. This threatens this person's spiritual life. You know, do you need to say something to that person? Or, or maybe you see a, a fellow Christian that when they're engaged with alcohol, they drink too much. It creates bad behavior on their part. It's a problem. It's a problem. Do you need to say something to that person? Or, or maybe you know a sister or a brother who, who uses Facebook as a forum for, for resolving all their disputes, saying things on the internet they would never say to somebody's face. I'd probably ask for an amen there. That happens. Maybe, you know, do you know somebody like that? You need to talk to him. So this isn't right. You're distracted. You need to get out of this behavior. You know, Paul makes it clear we have an obligation not just to avoid that behavior, but to help those who are engaged in it to change their ways. You know, a note of caution here, we're not called to be busybodies, okay? A busybody is, is someone who is not focused on their own behavior. They're not, they, they're not monitoring themselves. They're just monitoring other people so they can call out problems. At work, I call them problem pointer-outers. That's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Can't stand that. That's not what he's, in fact, that's what he's criticizing here. He's simply saying if you see someone engaged in something destructive to themselves and to others, you have an obligation to say something out of love and out of concern. Finally, Paul gives what I would call a positive rule, a positive instruction about how to avoid distraction. He says in verse 13, And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is right. So avoid the distractions. Challenge those who are distracted. And finally, you know, lean into the things that are right. Avoid distraction by doing the right things. So the things that we're focused on in our lives that are right, that are good, that are consistent with what God wants for us, Paul says you need to lean into those things. If you're doing it, doing it do it more. If you're doing it, doing it, do it with greater intensity. Lean into those things. You know, I think of, you know, my, my, my son plays soccer, been to a lot of soccer games. Um, didn't play as a kid, but... So I've kind of picked up over the years. And if you've ever watched a soccer game, you see a kid dribbling down the field, and there's always kids around him, and, you know, he intends to go this direction, but the ball gets kicked out of the way, so he's got to go chase it, and wanted to pass in that direction, but somebody got in the way, so we got to change plans. There's a constant distraction and harassment from the other team. The ball gets kicked away, and, well, i got to go back, and i got to try and get the ball back. It's constantly changing hands. Would drive me nuts. 
I mean, for 90 minutes, you get maybe two or three scores. For 50 times going down the field, 49 of them are going to result in it going back the other way. But there's this constant distraction and change that's occurring. But the kids who are really good, I've watched this. You, you see some kid dribbling down the field, and there's like five guys in front of him and think, why in the world are you trying to run through the middle of them? The kids that are really good, you know, they just power through it. They find a way. When the ball gets kicked out of the way, they go back and get it. When I can't make this pass, I make another pass. When I lose the ball, I go back, I fight, struggle, and get the ball back. They're not distracted. They just power through all the distractions, all the defenses of the other team, and they find a way to make the pass or get the goal. And I think that's the picture that Paul's painting here is just lean in and persist in doing the things that are right. I mean, just for example... I mean, maybe you're trying to improve your prayer life. Hey, I need to be more in prayer. I need to, I need to be better at that. And, and I can relate. That's hard. That's hard. You get to a period where I feel like I'm saying the same things over and over again. You know, is, am I getting anywhere? It's a struggle. And I think what Paul would say to, 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 to us is, you need to persist. Just keep doing it. Power on through it. You know, Scripture talks about how we need to persist in prayer, and it says that because God knows it's not easy. If it was easy, we already would have done it. We have to persist at it. Um, maybe you're trying to be a better husband or wife. Hey, I, I've got to pay attention to what I'm doing, the way I'm treating my, my spouse and my kids, or, and, and I've got to alter my behavior. But you don't see reciprocation on the part of your, your spouse. What would Paul say? He'd say, keep it up. Your, your, your focus is on you. God has called you to be a better spouse. You let him worry about the, the, the reaction of the other person. Uh, we need to persist in that regard. Or maybe, you know, in, in the, your workplace or with your friends, you're, you're, you're trying to invite people to church. You're trying to tell people about Jesus. You take every opportunity to, to try and turn the conversation toward, and you feel like you're not getting anywhere. Gee, I don't see people's lives changing. I feel like I'm, it, there's always a rejection. I'm not making progress. You know, Paul would say, you just need to persist. In fact, in Mark chapter 4, there's a parable. Uh, people often call the parable the growing seed. This is the kingdom of God. You know, telling people about Christ is like a guy who goes out and throws seed on the ground. And then he walks away and he goes to bed, and he wakes up in the morning, the rains fall, the sun comes up, it goes down. You know, all this stuff happens. The farmer isn't paying any attention, and one day, all of a sudden, there's a crop. And the point of that parable is that, look, you know, God makes things grow. All the farmer did was put the seed out. That's all our obligation. Our job is to tell people about Jesus. God's job is to convert people to Jesus. That's not our business. We tell. We share the message. He takes care of the rest. We simply need to persist. So this is a pretty simple message from Paul to these Christians and really to us today is that distractions are going to come our way. And, and he gives us a template for dealing. When there are people who are distraction by, 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 by behavior that, 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 that takes us in a direction other than the one that we need to go, we need to avoid that. Even if it, even if it engages people who, who are called by the name of Jesus, if they're going in the wrong direction, we need to avoid that. Furthermore, we have an obligation to warn others, you know, to help them to see, hey, you're, you're heading in the wrong direction. It's going to hurt you and hurt other people. You need to stop that. And, and finally, we avoid distractions by leaning in, by, 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 by focusing on the things that we, need, we know we need to do, even when it's tough, even when it's frustrating, even when we don't feel like we're getting results. We just continue. We persist. And we do those things, then we avoid distraction. We don't get knocked off the path. Um, 
I know a lot about distraction in my personal life. It's, it's something that I've struggled with in the past and continue to struggle with. I, I think of when I, when I went to school. I went to uh, a graduate of Georgia Tech. I have an engineering degree, and I, I went to Atlanta and, and started school. I, school was tough for me. I, I, I had to work my tail off. Uh, I wasn't one of these brainiacs who could just cruise through. I had to, I had to struggle. And it took a lot of time, took a lot of effort. Um, lived in a dorm, had a group of friends, and between school and, and friends, you know, I just got distracted. I wasn't involved in anything really bad, but, you know, uh, spiritual things were just not paramount to me, and I kind of knew that. And as a result, you know, I, I really didn't want to spend a lot of time around other Christians. A um, couple years, you know, uh, Sunday morning I went to church. Uh, I made sure that I was always about five minutes late, so I didn't have to talk to anybody when I walked in the door. And when I left, I tried to be the first one out, you know, for a couple of years. You know, and a couple, couple guys said hi. That's about, that was the extent of my relationship with other Christians. And that's kind of the way I wanted it. But I, I started to notice, you know, my, 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 my life with God isn't what I wanted. And it certainly wasn't what he wanted. Something needed to change. But I didn't really know how. One day, I got a letter in the mail uh, from a guy named Jamie Burns, uh, guy who became my friend. Uh, he was a member of a church in Dunwoody. Uh, I guess because you had to check your religious preference when you registered, uh, he got that data and letters went out. And He was a member of a college group at a church in Dunwoody, Georgia. And, uh, you know, hey, I want to invite you to church. And we got all these things going on. We meet on Wednesday night with this. We got Bible studies on campus, et cetera. Here's all the stuff we're going. Would love for you to come. And I did. Drove 25 miles on a Wednesday night when I didn't have time to go up and meet with this group of uh, fellow students, fellow engineering students, students from other colleges in the area on a Wednesday night. And I, I enjoyed it, and I found myself going back again and again, and I became a regular. I became a ringleader in this band of misfits. Um, and I noticed that my life started to change. You know, uh, my language, which was pretty awful, uh, got better. Uh, the entertainment that I chose to participate in got better. There were a number of things that just started to change in my life. And you know, I, I looked around at these fellow students who were going through the same sort of struggles that I was, you know, that, hey, they're following Jesus. I, I, maybe I can too. So things got better, but I noticed that there were a few problems. There were some distractions that I had to address. I lived in an apartment with three other guys, and one of them I went to church with, and the other two I didn't. They're all good guys, but, you know, it's, things just weren't the way they needed to be in this, this apartment. You know, one guy's girlfriend slept over every night. Um, it just wasn't a good environment. So at the end of the school year, you know, we, we kind of agreed we're going to part ways. And I moved into an apartment with three other guys who were solid Christians because I needed to be around that. Um, I had also been dating a girl for about two years that I would, I was in a relationship I would call quasi-serious. Uh, we didn't see each other a lot because she lived uh, about 90 miles away. Um, we'd been dating for a couple years and we were going to go in one of two directions. Either we are going to go Splitsville or we were going to get serious. And we, it was kind of leaning towards Splitsville. We argued more when, uh, than anything else when we were together. And, you know, I kind of looked at that. She was, she was a really nice person. And, but our, our relationship wasn't taking either one of us toward Jesus, primarily my fault, to be honest with you. But, you know, kind of looked at that and said, uh, something's got to change. And we ended up parting amicably. So, you know, I'm not saying this to toot my horn and say, here, look what I did, um, because my spiritual life was a mess, and it's been a mess since then uh, at times. But made the decision to get some distractions out of my life, and there was some short-term pain associated with that, but my life changed uh, for the better as a result of that. 
So maybe you find yourself in a similar position. Uh, if, you have, if, you, you, if not today, at some point you probably will. That's the way things are. You know, maybe there are some relationships that are causing damage or some hobbies or habits that are going on that, you know, man, this is really not taking me in the direction I need to go. Paul would say, you need to cut those things off. You need to put, you need to put that away from you. You need to remove that distraction from your life. Uh, that's not easy. It wasn't easy for me then and probably won't be easy now, but, you know, in the long run, uh, there, there are benefits from doing that. Uh, or maybe you have somebody in your life that you see them engaged in some destructive behavior and you're at a place and you're in a position where, you know, I really need to say something. Um, I'm not going to tell you that's easy. I'm not going to tell you that it's always pleasant. Uh, sometimes it's unpleasant. Sometimes it's absolutely miserable. Uh, but it is the right thing to do. And um, uh, it, has, it has the potential to change somebody's life. So I would encourage you to do that. And finally, I think we all have things that we're trying to do that we know are right, that we know God wants us to be engaged in. Sometimes they're easy and sometimes they're tough. And we just need to power through. We need to keep on doing it. We're told never get tired of doing what is right. There is always a reward though we may not see it in the present. So uh, let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for the message from your word. Uh, Christians always face distractions. They did uh, back when Paul wrote these words, and we do now. Uh, please help us to have the courage to remove the things from our lives that are uh, slowly killing us, that are keeping us from uh, walking the path that you've laid out for us. God, help us to care enough about people around us that we can lovingly warn them uh, so that they'll change. Uh, and even if they don't, to have the courage to do that because that's the right thing to do. And God, help us to persist in doing what's right, to never get tired, even when it's tough, even when we don't see the results, but to be persistent and trust that uh, you see efforts made on your, your part and that you will reward them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. When you're ready to take the next step on your faith journey, visit our website at BowlingGreenChristian.org and find more information about service times and other programming for both adults and children. Thank you again and have a blessed day.